Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Patricia Esperanza Zurita Oña, Dr. Z, and I truly hope you're having a good day. Today, I find myself thinking about the time in which I was a college student, an undergrad student, a grad school student, and I'm wondering, how was for you when you went to college when you went to university, as they call it in other countries, when you went to graduate school, or how was for you when you went to high school? For many people, this particular time of life can be confusing, can be stressful, it can be a time in which you feel lonely, you're trying to develop new connections, new friendships, You have a lot of pressure to perform academically. You may struggle with procrastination, test anxiety, productivity anxiety. And it could be a time in which it is hard to navigate through all these struggles day by day. So in this episode, I share with you my conversation with Dr. Nick Hooper, a clinical psychologist an expert on acceptance and commitment therapy, a colleague and a dear friend of mine. I met Nick many, many years ago at one of the annual conferences of the Association of Contextual Behavioral Science, which is basically the association for practitioners of acceptance and commitment therapy. And one of the things that I have always appreciated on Nick's work is his commitment to improve the well-being of any person he works with. And you will get a sense of that in my conversation with him today. For quite a while, Nick has been teaching specific psychological skills to students so they don't lose their mind and they stay sane. And he has summarized all his teachings on his latest book, The Unbreakable Student. In 2017, Nick started to write a book of life advice to his son, Max. And this book slowly transformed into The Unbreakable Student. When I was chatting with Nick about his journey with acceptance and commitment skills, 
his journey as a writer, his journey as a father. It was really, really sweet to hear how he uses acceptance and community skills, in particular diffusion, acceptance, and values into his day-to-day life. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And as usual, I want to invite you to send me a note or send me an email at drz at thisisdrz.com. It's always, always nice to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and see you next week. Bye-bye. I know over the last couple of years, you have fully immersed into acceptance and commitment therapy. And we all have a story with ACT. So I'm curious, what is yours? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. So I, um, it's a bit strange, actually, because you think of how popular ACT is now. And you see the, the numbers of RCTs that have been conducted. And it feels a world away from ACT when I learned about it. Because when I learned about it, which was for my undergraduate dissertation in 2005, nobody had heard of ACT. So like you would, you know, you would speak to people, what are you doing your dissertation? And I'm doing it on acceptance and commitment therapy. Nobody had heard of it. And so then I did my, my PhD with Louise McHugh and, um, and, we, and the, the focus of my PhD was thought suppression. You know, the more you try your best not to think about something, the more likely you are to think about it. And so we investigated that from a relational frame theory point of view, but we reached a point in the thesis where we, um, we, we, had, we, we had this transition where we went from, okay, so if avoidance doesn't work, then what might work? And so it's mm-hmm. from there that we that we moved into ACT. And so I started running sort of component ACT studies in 2008, 2009. Now, like by 2010, by the time I'd finished, I was a part of ACBS or the Association for Contextual Behavioral Science, which oversees a lot of ACT-related work. And you'd go to conferences and there'd be 400 people there or, you know, 500 of the most. Like these were, these were small conferences. And so you get like a more or less unlimited access to people like Steve Hayes and Kelly Wilson and and even Russ Harris like those people were just part of a small community of people that liked ACT and then you know I'd apply for jobs and I couldn't tell people that I was I researched ACT because that wasn't going to get me a job at the time I had to say you know I'm an experimental psychologist I research language or I'm interested in neuroscience or I, I could teach research methods you know I had to almost pitch myself as not ACT because nobody knew who it was it had no credibility as, as an area and then the growth in the last sort of 10 years has been phenomenal so that now like there are people I, I, I always remember making a joke to Louise McHugh my PhD supervisor saying you know I'm the best uh, act researcher who's Welsh in Wales and the reason <laughs> I said that is because as far as I was concerned there was nobody else in Wales that was Welsh that was researching act and now there'll be people in the city where I live that know very well about act and I don't know who they are which is just so bizarre. It's grown, grown that much. And so that's my story. That's how I got into it. I can see that at that time when you started, it was such a small community. People didn't know about ACT. But over the years, I have seen your work. I have seen you presenting in conferences. And I'm always curious how you're living ACT skills in your day-to-day life. Yeah, my, um, you know, our histories create us. So mm. my life prior to ACT, I had people 
I had met people who I'd learned from and who were inspiring and who sort of, from a young age, I remember thinking, I want to change the world. I remember thinking that. And then sort of you get to A-levels, which is a qualification that, you know, kids do essentially in the UK and you get to your degree and you get a load of self-doubt. You get a load of, am I smart enough? Am I worthy enough? Am I good enough? To, to change the world, to try and change the world, to chase my dreams. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was the point at which I met ACT. So I met ACT at the point at which I needed it. And so more or less, everything that's happened to me since that point, in my eyes, is as a result of me learning about ACT. Wow. I always like to tell people, ACT, ACT opened up the world for me. Mm. Because now I can say yes to stuff that makes me feel uncomfortable like Louise McHugh asked me do you want to do a PhD I said yes to it even though it made me feel uncomfortable and then sort of uh you know if you move on past that and you know you get asked to write a book my first book do you want to write a book I said yes even though it made me feel uncomfortable and the reason for that is because I was able to relate to my thoughts and my feelings in flexible ways and I, and I had a really clear idea of what I wanted to achieve or my values and the goals that would get me there so I'm saying yes to things that make me feel uncomfortable constantly do you want to give a talk at this university no of course I don't want to give a public speaking talk at a university but I'm going to do it because it's important and it helps me move towards the things that I'm after do you want to go to conferences and present in front of Steve Hayes like no that's the last thing I want to do that's really intimidating but I'll do it because I can relate to my thoughts and my feelings in such a way that I can still do things that are important to me and then like you know from since writing the first book then I have an idea which is imagine an act diary imagine a a diet an environmental cue that would cue valued living for people I think that's a really good idea I'm gonna chase it now like across that entire process there were so many times that I could have stopped um, but I was driven. I was driven to keep going because of ACT, because I was able to relate to those feelings of self-doubt so so flexibly. And then came the journal, and then came this book, The Unbreakable Student. Which, you know, when I was asked to write it, and when I was asked to pursue publishing it with a mainstream publisher, and that involved getting an agent and all sorts of things that took me outside of my comfort zone. I mm-hmm. was well practiced by that point. Mm-hmm. I was well. I was well practiced. I, you know, I know my way around this stuff now, because I li- because I live it, and and living it has made my world go like this. It means I can chase anything. And you know, at the moment we're we're working on a project called Connect, which is like a well being curriculum for primary school children. As there's like 250 act DNAV lessons from age four to age eleven currently being delivered to thousands of kids. You know, like I would never have thought I'd been able to be involved in such a project, but being able to manage and interact flexibly with my thought and feelings using those act processes and know really, you know, what I want to achieve is sort of like, it's just, it honestly has opened, opened the world for me. It just, it, it's made a mockery of a comfort zone. I, could, I don't exist in comfort zones anymore. I just do the things that, that seem to matter. And so, yeah, I mean, like, is, I, you know, I've done a few of these podcasts and not been asked that question before, but like, I hope that people pick up from my book that I'm not giving these people advice because I made a career move and learned a little bit about ACT and now I'm writing a book about it. Like I'm doing this because I live it and because I, because I, I know that it's made a difference in my life, which it can make a difference in other people's lives. And I, I, I would guess that you're the same, actually. 
you know, from having read some of your stuff, like you, you live, you live this stuff, which I, I, I don't know, it comes out in the way that you speak and you write. Thank you so much for sharing. It's such a beautiful story. I know we never chat about this before, but I relate a lot to what you're saying. I think that before ACT, I was an okay person, but I didn't know how to relate to my fears, to my worries, my anxieties about not being good enough, my fears about my accent. So like you, I see my life is before and after ACT. If I had met you, let's say, 20 years ago, and you didn't know too much about ACT, and you think about writing a book, or you think about writing a journal, how would you have related to that thought then, without any ACT skills? And how do you do it now, with ACT skills? Yeah, well, the thing is, is that the thoughts and the feelings that would come up, you know, in those two situations wouldn't actually be that different. Like I would be getting, I'm not worthy mm-hmm. and I'm not smart enough. Those would be the two things that, that would get me. I'm not worthy and I'm not smart. And then I'd get like other things like, oh, it'll take a lot of time. And then my mind would start getting really clever because it would start saying, it'll take a lot of time. And the more time you do that, the less time you're going to spend with your family, the less time you're going to spend with your son. And then it would get even more clever and would say, but the more time you do that, the less time you're going to be able to relax, the less time you're going to be able to watch TV, play your guitar, play golf, see your friends. You're not going to have time to do those things if you go and do that thing over there. And so my mind would really, really elegantly talk me out, talk me out of it. Now, like as and when I take on projects now mm-hmm. and with the most recent book, the thoughts and the feelings haven't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still getting... I'm still getting, and, and like, sometimes I look at my CV and go, do you know what? I'm actually not too bad. It's a surprise to see my CV and go, do you know what? You've accomplished some stuff because like my own view of, my, of myself is as someone that's not worthy, as someone that's not capable, of someone that's not smart enough to do meaningful things in the, uh, in the world. And so those things, they still show up now as and when I take on projects. But I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm able to just watch, I'm able to just watch them and to just know that, that's the mind's way of trying to protect me, trying to protect me from potential failure, from potential. And the failure isn't just a, 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 a personal thing. It's a social thing. You know, people see your failure and will make judgments about you when we live in that social world. Um, and in addition to me feeling like a failure, my mind's just trying to protect me. But I think having, you know, have been able to spot that happen Mm-hmm. Uh, you can talk about diffusion being able to experience that discomfort so you're talking a bit about willingness being able to hold myself stories lightly um you know that i i'm also you know mindfulness gets a bad rap but being able to to notice mind wandering to those things mm-hmm. like those four left hand sides of the the hex like those four parts of the act model help me to relate to my thoughts, my feelings in such a way that I can still do these things that take me outside of my comfort zone or still act in a way that's in line with my values. And so if people out there haven't heard about ACT before, the gist of it is really simple. It just means being able to do the things that are important to you while taking your unwanted thoughts and feelings with you. That's it. You don't have to fight with your unwanted thoughts and feelings. You don't have to change them. You can just 
become better at becoming aware of them, become better at seeing how they're pushing you around and, and, and helping you to act in ways that might not be of your choosing and doing better and moving your feet towards the things that are important to you. And so those six, the, the six parts of the, of the active model that I just talked about, they just help me to help me to, to do those, to relate more flexibly to the thoughts and feelings that I have as I take on projects. Now I'm just better at that. So that's the difference between 20 years ago and now the thoughts and the feelings and the discomfort they they haven't gone anywhere you know there's no magic that's going to take those things away i'm just better at relating to them i know for me the first time when i was being exposed to act it felt very counterintuitive i felt many times that it was this weird odd thing i was trying to do when i gave myself permission to just go along with an exercise without dwelling on it without trying to figure out what was going on, something starts shifting little by little. And with time, like you, the more that we practice, the more that we get better at watching our mind, watching ourselves, and getting in touch with what's really, really important. Um, for people who are curious about ACT, and you just share this beautiful definition, it's about figuring out what matters, taking action, and taking with you all the yucky stuff that comes with you, if they have any thoughts that this may be counterintuitive or they have any doubtful thoughts about actor skills, what would you tell them? What would be your advice to them? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my because act is, I view the world through the lens of act because I've been living it for so long. Like, I, like I started learning about acts when I was 20, 20 years old. I was a baby. And now I'm 37. So that's 17 years of, of, of delving more and more and more into this and viewing the, the, the world through that lens. And sometimes when you deliver uh, workshops, you forget that other people don't view the world through that lens. Mm-hmm. And so my, my experience, what I get is widespread enthusiasm of like, whoa, this is such an interesting way of looking at the world. We've been trained that thoughts and feelings and unwanted ones and bad ones, they're the symptoms of mental health problems. So the last thing we want is those. We need to get rid of those things. We've been trained in that since we were children. And now here's this fella saying, it's all right to have them. It's all Mm -hmm. right to have them. They're just these things that go on inside us and we don't need to fight with them or, or change them and stuff. Like if, if going back to your question, if there are people out there that have, you know, question marks or, you know, are struggling to co- commit to giving it a go, like I would say put a time limit on it and mm. see how it works, you know, have a, have a go at it for, for a month, for a two months, for three months, see what changes, see what changes with your life. Does your life open up? Are you doing more things? Are you getting more meaning from doing more things as a result of using some of these skills? And it's not going to come straight away. It's not as if, you know, you're going to read an act book and then go, oh, my word, I'm so diffused or I'm so accepting of stuff. Now, it's not just going to be an over overnight thing, you know. And so it, it's something you've just got to, I would say, just uh, stick with and see how it works. See how it works for you. Yeah, I love that. I think for people listening to us, my advice along the lines of what you're saying is try act skills without any attachment to any outcome or agenda. See how they work for you, how they feel, 
how they sound, how they go in your life. But I think opening up to what active skills can be in your day-to-day life, that's a good beginning. Let me switch gears a little bit. I know last year you published this super cool book called The Unbreakable Student, Six Rules for Staying Sane at University. It's a great title. I absolutely love it. I'm curious, what motivated you to write this book? What's the story behind it? Yeah, so the book actually didn't, it, but it, it's a sort of long story, but I'll, I'll try and cut it down. <laughs> I didn't write the book. I, I, I didn't write the book to students. I didn't think I was writing the book to students. I thought I was writing the book to my son. So I watched uh, a program called Sons of Anarchy. And in Sons of Anarchy, the main character in there has got a manuscript that his dad left him, okay? And his dad had passed away. And here he was with this manuscript that was teaching him about life. So I'd watched that. And then my two-year-old son at the time, and I, we watched The Lion King. And then The Lion King, Mufasa dies. And I was like, oh my goodness, I could die. If I die, I need my son to know some stuff. So I wrote the book, 50,000 words, to Max, to my son. Wow. And, um, but then, but then I, I hadn't really planned for it to go any further than that. I just wanted him to have it. And it still exists, this document. Um, and then I sort of read through it and I had two thoughts. One was, I think maybe some people could get something from this. I think mm-hmm. maybe this could be more than just a book for my son. And the other thing that happened was I realized that it wasn't really just for my son because I was writing it to my son as an 18 year old to be given to him at the age of 18 if I happen to be not around at that time. So of course, when I'm thinking of an 18 year old, I'm thinking of the students that I work with every day. And so it really wasn't a hard transition to change it from a book that was written to my son to a book that was written and inspired by the students that I worked with every day. And you're right, you know, many of those students struggle in in particular ways, whether they're homesick, whether they struggle with academic pressures, you know, whether they, they struggle with peer pressure, whether they struggle with perfectionist tendencies, like uh, th- these are the these are my bread and butter. These are the people that I work with every day, and these are the people that I want to be able, in short interactions, to say things to them that are going to impact how they see the world and and how they interact with the world. And so um, that's what the unbreakable student is. The unbreakable student is this man here saying to someone who's twenty years younger than me. These, this is some stuff that I've learned. And I think if you read it, it might, it might help you. It might help you to see the world in a different way. It might help you to, to, to do things a little bit better. And so that's the, the story behind it was it was never written for university students. It was written for my son, but it was written for university students. They were always in my mind as, as the examples. And so, you know, I, I, think, I think what's lovely about that story is yeah. it, illustrates, it illustrates something really different about my book which is, it's not tokenistic. It's not a self-help book. It's not a sort of like, I always see self-help books written by therapists. And I just think the best therapists I know that, you know, the Kelly Wilsons, they put themselves in the room. Like the major thing that they have is they are a human being in front of another human being. And yet when you get self-help books from uh, a therapist, they take the human being out of it and they just put in a load of technique. And I was just like, I need, I need to be the human. I need them to see me as a, as a human. And so I made it really, really personal. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's not tokenistic. Like, this is the book I'd be giving my son in the event of my own death. This isn't like something that I've just, you know, thought I want to publish a book. This is this it, this is more more than that. And so, I hope that when people read it, they get that sense that this is that this is you know more than just a, a technique driven sort of self help book. It doesn't read like that. It reads more like a like a story, in my opinion. And so, yeah, it's interesting. It's just a different way of getting across act principles that you know i'm really i'm really proud of that i've, I've done it and given a new twist to writing about acts what was special for you about the main character what was special about his journey when all what he has is this written document that was written by his father yeah um, so i mean to be honest i haven't watched sons of anarchy in years now um because this was was going on like five five years ago or something but i do remember um seeing the main character jacks wasn't it jacks yeah, was the Jack, main, was the main character, in that. character. Yeah. I, I you know i saw him as being smart and mm -hmm. as seeing things in a slightly different way to those other people that were around him and i also saw that you know he was a little bit lost yeah. and it felt like this this manuscript that he had from his father really provided a, a guide for him or a path It gave him information about about how to be in the world, and that information was, I think, really beneficial for him. And so, I, I just remember watching that and thinking, "That's such a good idea," because mm -hmm. it's, life is so unpredictable. Anything yeah. can happen. Anything can happen to me, to you, tomorrow, the next day, next week. But like, but I want to leave him behind something that links him, that links Max to me as as his father, even if I'm not there. And so. Um, And so, yeah, it's, you know, the Sons of Sons of Anarchy really played a big part in, in me putting together that. In some ways, I wanted to print it off in actual paper, just like Jacks had in Sons of Anarchy. And one day I can give it to, to Max and say, it doesn't exist on a computer, mate. This is it. This is yours. This is mine to you. This These 50 pages of, of writing. You do what you want with it. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. If I can ask a little bit more about the content of the book, I know it's full of act principles. For people who are going to college right now and they get exposed to all types of pressures and they may play it safe by sometimes overstudying, overworking, avoiding sometimes or pretending they're busy all the time. So they don't feel lonely or they don't feel that they don't fit in the group. How do you think the book could be helpful to them and where should they start with a book? Yeah, so the, the book, it, um, it draws on the six ways to well-being, mm -hmm. which are essentially the, the behaviors of psychologically healthy people. So um, Dr. Gitanjali Barsakot, who is an ex-student of mine at Warwick University, she did her thesis on these six ways to well-being these are the well-being these are the behaviors that psychologically healthy people tend to do so they tend to exercise they tend to challenge themselves they tend to connect with people they tend to give to others they tend to self-care they tend to embrace the moment and so in some ways the point of the book is really simple which is look students if you want to look after your psychological health at university you need to do more of those things and but then that's when act comes in because you know everybody in the world would know that those things will probably be good for them but not a lot of people actually do them And so you need a way to manage your unwanted thoughts and feelings that pop up as you move towards those well-being behaviors that are going to help you to get on with them, even when your mind is being really awkward. And so with, uh, with the book, I, 
I, I think that the most important thing that students would learn from the book are generalized skills. Mm-hmm. So like it just went just then when you were talking about you were talking about the context of for a student perfectionist tendencies fitting in with groups staying busy so that they don't feel lonely all of these things you're you're talking about and these are different parts of their life they're different parts of their psychological life now, like in the book I would might for example apply diffusion to the, the the tricky thoughts that you get when you're about to exercise but diffusion can also be helpful with connect when it comes to connecting with people and other of the six ways to well-being it can be helpful when it comes to challenging yourself so although each way to well-being is linked to an act process in my book, mm-hmm. what I really want is for, the, is for students who read it to develop an understanding of the six processes of act and apply them flexibly across situations, not just in a prescribed way. I, like, I wouldn't want to say to a student, look, when it comes to connecting with others, willingness is the only thing that's going to help. Mm-hmm. Either one of, although I've applied willingness to connecting with people, you know, being able to take your discomfort with you when you're connecting with potential partners or friends or, or, or whatnot, especially if you feel a little bit socially anxious. Although willingness is going to be super help, help, helpful, I want those students to see, oh, do you know what? Diffusion might be useful there. Oh, do you know what? Like I've got a self-story going on here that may, I might be able to relate to in a different way. Or being able to spot my mind wandering and bring my attention back to the present moment might be really helpful for me here. And so I guess that's what I would say is, uh, you know, I would want students to think about my book as a manual for learning skills that will help them across contexts that they'll be able to use in different situations. And I think that's the, um, that's what I would like. So irrespective of what they're facing, those mm-hmm. skills can come in handy. Let's say that a person is struggling with fears of not fitting in. In a practical level, how could they use these principles that you lay out in your book? If they want to connect with others, but when they are interacting with their peers, they have this fear about saying the wrong thing, or they have these fears about being like an outsider. So they may have this urge to grab the phone and pretend they are busy all the time. So they don't have to interact with others, right? That's their plan. It's safe. Yeah. What, what would be like one way in which we can get a flavor of how these act principles or skills could be relatable to that moment? I think the big thing for me in that situation that has helped me personally as well, over and above knowing act processes, mm. is understanding experiential avoidance. Mm-hmm just having a psychoeducational understanding that there's this thing called avoidance and that our minds will often push us to avoid things that make us feel uncomfortable even if doing those uncomfortable things might open our life up and so like for example I, you know I'll, I'll say to students so i use metaphors or stories to try and illustrate these principles i say right imagine that you're a little bit socially anxious imagine you get invited to a party you say yes the reason you say yes is because you want to connect with people. You, and not only that, you know connecting with people is important. But mm-hmm. you yourself, you want relationships. You want maybe meet a potential partner, maybe uh, build friendships. So as you are on your way to the party, because you feel a little socially anxious, what's going to be going through your heads? 
what's going to be happening in your body at that time? And of course, students will say, well, my mind will tell me I'm not very good socially. My yeah. mind will tell me I could do I could do this another time. Mm -hmm. My mind will tell me there'll be plenty of parties in the future. My mind will tell me, remember the last time that you tried this? Remember what a disaster it was? Your mind is going to be giving you thoughts and feelings that are essentially designed to protect you, to stop you from going from what your mind sees as a, as a potentially threatening situation. And in your body, you're going to feel sweaty palms. Your heart is going to be beating fast. You know, it's not going to be physiologically or psychologically a nice experience on the way to that party. Now, there's a really, really easy way to make those things go away. You just mm -hmm. don't go to the party. Turn around, go back to your college dorm or your room and you watch Netflix. And in the short term, what you'll have done is you'll have avoided this potentially threatening situation. You'll feel relief as a result of it. But you'll make it wake up the next day. You'll feel terrible because you all know that you, that you didn't do this thing that you really actually wanted to do that was in line with sort of your values and was in line with this thing that, that you really wanted to do. And so although you get short-term relief from, from it, you don't get any long-term satisfaction or, or, um, or, or meaning. And so just having students understand, oh yeah, isn't it interesting that my mind in trying to protect me mm. will push me to push me away from things that are important to me. Just having that understanding blows people's minds. Yeah. And that's before you even get to essentially willingness. Essentially, mm -hmm. is there a different way you can you can relate to that discomfort? And specifically, is it possible? to have discomfort and to keep going. So I'll do an exercise with my students where I'll say to them, right, I'm going to make you do something excruciating now. What you're going to do is you're going to stare into each other's eyes. Get, find a partner. You're going mm. to stare into their eyes for two minutes. Now, as you do this, you know what you're going to feel? Discomfort. Your heart's going to be beating fast. It's going to be really awkward as you're staring and holding eye contact with these people's eyes. But you know what? You can hold eye contact with their eyes, even when you feel all this discomfort. And that's what I want you to do. So I'll get them to do it. And as a result of that, they learn, oh, right. When discomfort comes along, I don't have to run away. I don't have mm -hmm. to go, you know, run for the mountain straight away. I can, I can have it. I can experience it. And then I'm like, right, now you've got willingness. Now you understand what I mean by willingness. It means contacting our discomfort when doing so will help us do things that are important to us. And so like the, those, that would be like the, the probably where I would go in that situation if I had a student in front of me. Beautiful. Thank you so much for illustrating that. For people listening to us, they got a good flavor of how active skills can be handy and how they can be actually very actionable. They are not these abstract things. It's really how we relate to our discomfort or our struggles in the moment. Nick, let me ask you one more question. If you were to have a cup of coffee or tea with any person you want today, who will that person be and why? A cup of coffee or tea with anybody. Anybody. Who would that person be? Mm -hmm. Who would that person be? Um, right. First of all, there's no one that I would choose to do that with other than my wife. Mm. Um. And so but I put my wife aside for a second because mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are probably more 
um, interesting answers. But like, you know, if I was to choose anybody to have a cup of tea or coffee with it, my wife and I do every day and I feel really blessed Beautiful. for that, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't be anyone else. Um, but if, you know, if, if, if you said, right, who's the second person that you would mm -hmm. choose to have a cup of coffee or tea with? Do you know what? I'm watching a documentary on Netflix at the moment about Kanye West. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and you know what? I, I find him fascinating. He, he seems to me like a, a, a guy that's just trying to figure out and is sort of searching, but he's also really, mm. really talented. And he's smart, but he's also vulnerable and he's also sort of like insecure. And I don't know, he, he just strikes me as a really interesting character. And so I would love to have a cup of coffee with him and just talk about life and the nature of life. And him tell me some stuff that he's learned and I'll tell him some stuff that I've learned. And maybe the two of us as a result of that would, uh, you know, would have more wisdom, more wisdom between us. But yeah, probably just because I'm watching that, this series, you should watch it. It's, it's really, really good. And if you were into sort of, you know, 90s hip hop, uh, which, yeah. which I was, it's just such an, it's such an interesting thing to see those human beings before they were famous and to realize oh they're just they're just human beings they're just people trying to make it um you know so i really identify with uh, with that so yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with kanye west well thank you for the recommendation i will definitely take a look to the documentary um i think he can be very controversial but also there is something unique about hip hop in the 90s right it was like the counter movement a little bit to what was going on Nick, it has been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for making the time and for sharing all your take and, and insights using ACT skills. For people listening to this conversation, we will post all the resources and Nick's book on the website. And thank you so much again. No, thank you for having me. I've, you know, I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. I look forward to seeing you at a conference sometime in the future where we can talk in person maybe have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea i would love it and maybe we can invite kenya west <laughs> yeah i will do yeah <laughs> thanks for listening if you like this episode i will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and if you're feeling extra generous i welcome a review on apple podcasts show notes of this episode are in the website playing it safe that's on Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable, playing it safe actions. See you soon!